You know, Friday night, a lot of the men of our congregation here gathered gathered for a men's night, and I was uh, really grateful for the time there, but I, I went home after the evening, and Josie was watching TV, and I, I came in the room. She could tell I was, I was excited. We had a, a really good time, and uh, she, I told her what we talked about, or at least what I, I took from our talk. I, uh, it was one of those great opportunities for me to just sit in the back and, and listen to John and Donnie and Matt lead a, a conversation about what it means in, in, in general, what it means to be a godly man. <laughs> I, do, I do have to say this. Josie said, well, I didn't, I didn't know y'all actually had a, uh, a lesson or talked about stuff. I said, what do you think we do? And she said, I just thought you ate around a fire. So ladies, ladies of, uh, with husbands, right, uh, and ladies of the church, encourage your men to go to those things. We really just don't sit around a fire and eat. It's not, it's not even that, we had pizza from Costco. I mean, yeah, okay, all right. But I walked away. Just uh, And it's been a series of men's events leading up to the men's retreat. There's your, there's your push to go to the men's retreat, men. Ladies, go to the women's retreat. But I walked away realizing the importance of saying I'm sorry and really meaning it as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a young man that's maybe not married, learning, learning how to, to grow up into who God wants him to be. The importance, uh, tied to the sermon here, um, the importance of genuine, spirit-inspired repentance. And see, I, I don't, you know, I, I always wonder, everybody comes with their own baggage as they come into church, and uh, this is a pretty, every passage is very serious, but there's, there's judgment here, uh, there's repentance here, and then there's this call. And I, I say this, this is why I'm introducing it. A few weeks ago, I, said, I don't know, maybe a month ago, we were going through Matthew chapter 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mountain. I, I actually, and I, I will not stop doing this, when we got to the, the, the passage on be, be, be reconciled to your brother, be reconciled to your, uh, if you've got anything against somebody, you know, go to that person before you go to church, so to speak. I, I really had visions of grandeur. I, I really, because I... We're a pretty relational church here. I know that we have personal relational issues in this church in some measure. Yeah, we're sinners. Um, and and I, I really walked away from that sermon thinking, man, all these people are going to go up to each other afterwards and just say, I'm sorry. And I waited. And nothing happened. And then I had to go repent and say, oh, I really don't know what happened. But one of the reasons that we come together as God's people, as a community that have taken vows, that baptize one another's children, we're really accountable to one another. Our relationships with each other really, really matter. And repentance is really important. 
Let's read our passage, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to read verses 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 20 through 30. This is God's word. This is God's word. It's not my word. It's come down to us inspired by the Holy Spirit that is useful to us, powerful to us, and it is real. Let me read it. Talking about Jesus, verse 20. Then he, Jesus, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, this morning, would you work powerfully among your people here in this church? Would you work powerfully among those who may not know you this morning? Would we walk away from here different, better? Walk away from here being conformed to the image of Christ in a way that we could never expect. We ask these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We just ended a section of Scripture, the first part of Matthew 11, where John, John the Baptist is confused about the way God works. He's, he's, he's confused. He, he, thought, he thought everything was going to be made right just like that. And Jesus responds. Jesus says, Tell John, through his disciples, tell John the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised from the dead, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. We begin our passage here after that with a comparison or a contrast with, with the people who have seen Jesus, the people in these towns that he talks about, seen his mighty works, and those people that lived long before Jesus Christ, God became man. They didn't have a clue 
about who he was. And, and what's striking in this passage, the people who have seen Jesus, the people who have seen his mighty works, the people maybe who have just heard about his mighty works, it's very possible that it's going to be worse for them than for the others because of who Christ is. And Jesus here takes three well-known prominent cities at the time, Chorazin, uh, Bethsaida, Capernaum, which it was pretty much more or less his base of operations. Places where he spent time, where he taught, where he proclaimed the kingdom, where he did his mighty works, his miracles, and he compares them with some wicked cities of the past, Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, known for their opposition to God, their wickedness, and their evil. And Jesus says it's going to be better for them than for the cities where Jesus revealed himself, where Jesus did his mighty works, where he healed people, where he loved people, where he forgave people. The point is the same for all these towns. The point is the same for us. Those who have heard about and seen Jesus and they don't repent, there is a day of judgment coming. Everything that John the Baptist was looking for in his day was delayed because of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, and his plan of salvation. And repentance is key here. So several things that, that, several things that I want to point out, several things that, that I would like for you to do or to think about even as I talk about this. Think, think about this. There are some very clear truths that we can all hang our hats on. I don't, I don't care if you're young boys over here, young girls over here. I don't care if you're old people over there. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are. Okay, I, I don't, if you notice, I'm not even wearing my glasses anymore because I, I just don't want to see your faces. I, don't, I, I know I know you, okay? But, but I want you to think about this individually, because as I was studying this passage, there, there was a day last week where I started writing down specifically for me as your pastor things that I needed to repent of. And I got to the second page and I just had to stop. I didn't hear some audible voice from God, but it was like, oh, you probably just need to focus on these things right now and don't get too overwhelmed. Because there's not a person here who can't walk away with something that we don't need to address in our own lives so that we can be more like Christ. So, so several things that, that I, want to, I want to point out. Uh, I, I need you to know this, these judgments, woe is you, and this, this emphasis on the pride of Capernaum, it flows out of God's compassion and love for people. The warning would not be so intense if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, didn't care. We don't warn people about trouble coming their way if we don't care. We only warn people of danger if we... Let me put it this way. The more we care about people, the more we love people, the more we're wanting to be involved in their lives and, and expressing to them the concerns that might be leading them down the path of destruction. And I can't convince you of this, but, but this is what Jesus is worried about, eternal life. This is what I'm worried about, eternal life. This is what you should be worried about, eternal life, the future, 
And we live in a world that is consumed with the present, with this life. And if this life is all there is, then we're in a sorry state. Because as good as it can be, and I've had a really good life, as good as it can be, it's not all that I was created for, and I know that. And so do you. God's word is clear. Jesus Christ came into the world, and the first step in ushering in a new world is is this idea of now is the time of grace that is preparing us for the future. And God really does care about us. God really does love us. He really does. That's the first thing. Secondly, and this is really just a side note, but I think it's very helpful for for some of the conversations that that I have with, with some of you. Jesus knows the people of Tyre, the people of Sidon, the people of Sodom. He knows how they would have responded if they had the privilege of meeting Jesus. That's that's in this passage. He knows how they would have responded. And he says, if I would have come to them like I've come to you, they would have responded differently. And we say, "That's, that's great. It speaks to his authority. It speaks to his power. It speaks to his being God. And that's true. But it does have relevance to us in in this idea that there are people in our lives that may not know much, that may may not fully understand the gospel like you may understand the gospel. But God is working on them. God is dealing with them in the way that he desires and you're a part of their lives for a particular reason. And you don't, you don't have to go in there and say God's not working. He's working. Just not in the way that you want him to. And that's okay. Here's the most important thing that we need to take note of. There's a relationship here with mighty works, with repentance, and, and with judgment. By the way, the mighty works, they're miracles. They're, they're, they are actually not about the miracles, but it's a sign. They are signs that God was present among them. That he was at work. And, and you need to realize he was doing these works, these mighty works, these miracles. He wasn't looking for people to be amazed. He wasn't um, looking specifically to be admired. He wasn't hoping people would go home and talk about all the cool things that this Jesus guy was doing. He was calling people to repent. That's been the message since the beginning of the gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. Repent. The miracles testified to the presence of the divine in their midst. It was and is all about the the good news being proclaimed to them. That God had become man to reconcile the world, to make things right again. It's all a call for people to change. This is what repentance is, folks. This is repentance because I'm going to talk to you about what we might think is repentance and, and I'm afraid we're wrong. This is a call for people to change their whole direction away from one way of life and to God. It's a reorientation of the life that we are living. And you know, I know, we talk, there is an initial repentance that we all, if you know Jesus, that you've all come to. So if you're sitting out there and you you may have never come to grips with the claims of 
of Jesus Christ, there's this initial repentance that has to happen where, where you come and understand the grace of God and, and you say, I'm going to turn my whole life around. That's, that's one aspect. That is a real aspect. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, that is the message. Repent. It's not as bad as you think. We're going to get to that. But if you do know Jesus Christ, if you've met him, and, and this is, I think, for most of us here today, at least the ones that, that, that I know, that, that we talk to, that are a part of this congregation, it's still for us. The call is still to us as individuals. This is not this, some broad call here. This is a call to each and every person sitting in these seats. Today. This is a call to me. This is a call to my wife. This is a call to these young ladies over here. I think accidentally, maybe unintentionally, we've redefined repentance. We've exchanged the active work of repentance of following Jesus Christ, learning from him for a feeling of sadness and sorrow. And I have to tell you, they are not the same thing at all. Maybe the world doesn't know what genuine biblical Christian repentance looks like because we're not showing them. See, anyone, anyone who's been met by Christ, who is learning more about who Christ is, I believe, no, the Bible teaches that we will have something to actively repent for for the rest of our lives. I don't care if you're 80 years old. And when I say active repentance, I mean a change of direction and behavior in, in whatever it is we're doing, or maybe simply in the way that we are thinking. So, so let, me, let me try to put some, some skin on the bones. If I spend too much time on social media... I don't need to just talk about how much time and how bad I feel about spending time on social media. I need to change something. I need to stop it. I need to do something. And then, not only do I need to stop it, but I have to fill that time with something that's going to make me more like Christ. So I don't just turn off social media and say, oh, I'm going to watch a sci-fi movie tonight. I'm going to actually think about what can I do? Can I, can I go to my spouse? Can I go to my friends? Can I, can, I, can I do something that Jesus is pleased with? If I, here, here's one. If, if I have a problem with Jim Bob in the church, just making that up, we don't have any Jim Bobs here that I know of. If I have a problem with Jim Bob, I need to go to him in humility and see what I need to do to love that person better than I have. Go to him in humility and say, hey, I think there might be something wrong. Is there anything that I have done? That's, is there anything I need to change? I'm not a good husband or wife in a certain area. What do I need to change to, to make my spouse flourish 
and, 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 and grow. At least I'm going to talk to my spouse and say, what, what have I done to create this situation? What do I need to change? What do I need to do different? And by the way, that is not, one more, one more. We have a habit of thinking unhealthy thoughts. You may not be doing anything wrong. I doubt it, but no, that's not true. You are. But, but you're just thinking in, 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 in things that are not true about what God says about who he is. And you need to find some friends. And, 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 and you, need to do, you need to change something to get yourself thinking differently. What would, what would happen in our lives this afternoon for those of you who are married or those of you who have roommates or, or those of you that have friends? I think I've covered everything. Those of you who have parents, those of you who have children. And, and we actually sat down after lunch today. And we had a conversation said, hey, Pastor Todd was talking about all this repentance and it sounded terrible, but let's talk about that. What can I do differently to be a better man, a better woman, a better son, a better daughter, a better friend? What can I do? What would happen in our lives? What would happen in the world out here? See, we're, we're big. Mm, I got to be careful. We talk a big talk about loving these people out here. One of the most important things that we can do is, is live a life of Repentance. What would happen in our lives, what would happen in the world if people who don't know Jesus actually saw us repenting, which is actually changing and becoming more like Jesus Christ? Because see, look here, folks. One of the ideas here, and this is, you, you can talk about this in your community groups if you're in a community group, is that the more you understand about Christ, the more responsible, the more accountable we are to him. I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of churches, and this one is an accountable church. We are an accountable people. We've had gospel-centered preaching for 25-plus years here. I have to keep going. I, I, I take, if, you, if, you could, if you don't remember anything, well, you got to no, it's got to go. You got to keep listening. When you get to verse 25, Jesus prays. He thanks God the Father, not for his greatness, but on account of how he works. This is, this is still tied to repentance, how he has revealed himself. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. And I just, just to, to summarize this point, and, and you get the, the specifics here, he's not really talking about smart, educated adults versus little naive children. He's actually praising God for how he planned out the world, how he set in motion the way of salvation, and how it's worked out among the people that he's created. Those who, this is how the gospel works. Those who are aware of their dependence and their need who are the little children. Those who are aware of their dependence and their need, contrasted with the self-sufficient, the proud, the those who think they know everything, they're the supposed wise and understanding. And what he's saying here is humble people will repent and proud people won't get it. Uh, 
That's the these things. All these things have been handed over to Jesus Christ. It's, it's what the mighty works pointed to. These things, the authority and the power of the Son of God, beginning the process of making things right. The kingdom of this world casts a veil over the eyes of the supposed wise and understanding and the reality of the beauty of what it means to live in faith and repentance is hidden from them because they don't think they need it. They think they have it all together. They think they know all the right stuff. And verse 27 is really, really important. It leads us to the invitation. It leads us to, to really the, the, the necessary aspect to repentance. After declaring that the Father works with divine wisdom, not worldly wisdom, Jesus Christ declares that he is the exclusive agent of knowing God. He is the indispensable intermediary between God and man. And it's only through him that we can be made right and the world can be made right. And the intermediary, the one between God and man, he's the one that says, you come to me. See, that, that's the other, when we repent, we just don't turn in a different direction. We turn in the opposite direction and we move into Jesus Christ. Those who are weary, those who are burdened by this world and the ways of the world. Look, the call itself is the way of repentance. I'm going to have Jesus if I have nothing else. And it's an invitation to all. It's an invitation still to Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, the people there. Come to me. It's for those who recognize their need to repent and to reorient their lives around the Son of God who comes to bring salvation and be willing to accept his yoke, to learn from him. Look, the rest, the rest that is promised, it, it comes through repentance. Do, do you realize how restful it is to be able to acknowledge to other people that you're not the person that you want to be and Jesus Christ is the one that's making me into that? You can rest. You don't, you don't have to worry about what other people think of you because you're with Christ. It's not a big deal to say I'm sorry when you know that you have Jesus. It's not a big deal to acknowledge that you're not the husband or the wife that you, that you want to be because you have Jesus. All those burdens that fill us with fear and worry and anxiety and anger, those are all related to sin. The power of sin, the guilt of sin, the effects of sin. It's the burdens of this life that we all feel day to day. I've got to do something to make myself Important. I've got to do something today to, so that I know that I'm valuable. And Jesus says, no, 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 come to me. I am the only one that can make you valuable. And this yoke, the yoke is to learn from him. It's not a heavy yoke, yoke because he's gentle, he's lowly. It's a constant moving into the person of Christ and, and fighting for his love and his mercy and seeing his holiness, his purity, his works on our behalf. His, uh, it's living in his promises. That's what it means to take his yoke, to learn not only of him, but to live in him. You, you know, by the way, this learn, the, the, the Greek root word is disciple. Follow me, come to me. Learn from me. 
We're all yoked up to something. We're all yoked up to something. We're working for something. We're working for someone, even if it's our own selves, and we can try to be our own masters. Someone or something else is our master, and Jesus says, I am the only master that understands exactly who you are and exactly what you need, so come to me. Jesus basically says here, learn from me what life can be, what life will be like. It's not the route of easy faith. This, you know, in some sense, Jesus calls us, I don't know how to say this, but, but in some sense, Jesus isn't saying this is the easy way. Jesus is just saying it's the right way. It's not that he demands less from his followers. You read the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually looking for more. But it's a different kind of life with a different spirit of life, with a different power. And in a way, we come to him every day, every moment to learn from him. And those who are childlike will never lose their desire to learn from him. Look, I'm going to end this way. There will be a day when all men will, will be called to account. All human beings will be called to account. There will be a day where we will either stand all by ourselves in what we've done and what we've accomplished and or, I'm sorry, or there will be a day that you stand and live in Jesus Christ. That day is coming and it's really important if you don't know Jesus Christ. If you do know Jesus Christ, the most beautiful thing, the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself, that you can do for your family, that you can do for this church, that you can do for this world, is to repent and come to Jesus daily over and over and over and over again. And that's how we learn. We don't just come to Jesus once and that's, what John, that's John the Baptist's problem. Hey man, you're here, fix it all. No, that's not the way Jesus works. He got the rest of your life here on this earth to prepare you for eternity. And you will either become something more beautiful than you ever imagined and your relationships will become more beautiful than you ever imagined or you're going to be somebody that nobody wants to spend any time with. And I don't want any of y'all to go that way. So what I want you to see is the love of God for people like you and me. He cares enough to let us know that we are accountable, that there will be a day where judgment comes. But for those who are aware of their need, for those who know that they can't do it, for those who know they are sinners who fall short of the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says, come to me. For those of you who are weary and heavy burdened and see the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of love of God that surpasses even what the supposed wise and knowledgeable can know, that you'll be filled, that you will find rest. Jesus Christ ends with this invitation and says, come to me. I, I, I'm gonna pray in just a minute. I, no, I'm gonna be praying when we take the Lord's Supper that as you come to the table, you'll think about what it means concretely to be men and women who live in repentance and faith. Let me pray. Father in heaven, um, there's some real truths here in your word. And it does speak to your righteousness and your holiness and your purity and your power, but it also speaks to your mercy and your love. 
It reminds us that you love the world so much that you gave up your only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have life. Lord, let not one person leave this day without a better understanding of what it means to live in that life. As we come to the table, would you work among us by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.